0: I want to start off with a question this morning and just ask you this. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? You said There's not anything wrong with me. Well, just let me say the whole, give the whole sermon and you might think differently. Do you want to be made well? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Why in the world did Jesus come to this place where all the sick and the, and the, and the paralyzed and those that were blind and help us. Why did he come there and ask this one man that question? It's kind of like going to the hospital and going room to room and seeing people laying there suffering all kinds of things and saying to the person in the bed, do you want to be made? Well, they'd say, well, do you want to check in the hospital to get your head examined? You know, that kind of thing. So do you want to be made? Well, The setting of our story today for this third sign is Jerusalem. The first two were performed in Cana, a small town up north. This is in the main city. As we read, Jesus traveled to Jerusalem once again to attend a feast. There were, in the life of uh, Israeli men at that time, or Jewish men, there were three feasts of obligation, Uh, The Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. We're not told which. We won't speculate. But what I want to point out is it's interesting to me that in his desire to fulfill all righteousness and to be obedient to every law of God, that he was faithful in attendance to the weekly meetings of the synagogue. And then at the Feast of Obligations, he was also faithful to attend. Jesus kept the law. He came to those meetings. Now, we're not under the law of obligation, but I want to say this, friends. A faithful attendance to the weekly assembly pleases God. It builds us up personally, and it certainly gives a witness to the community. A full parking lot out here says something to people going up and down the expressway every week, folks. It lets people know that there's still people who believe. And even in this world, and boy, I for one am glad to be congregated here today, aren't you? Amen. There's a church called St. Anne's that's built on or near the site of our episode today. It still has some of those structures there showing where the pools, there was more than one, and the porches or the porticos were. And like Hot Springs, Arkansas, and various medicinal springs around the world, there's one in Georgia, one in Iceland, uh, there were healing waters that abound around the world. And at that time, there, were, there was a place there called Bethesda, there in Jerusalem, where the paralyzed, the blind, and many others gathered. It was on the north side, the north wall of the city, near the sheep gate, where they came in to be sold at the market where all the sacrifices were made. It was known as a place of healing. At least that was its Jewish legend. Bethesda, that word means house of mercy or house of grace. What a beautiful thought. Don't you think Grace Church ought to be a place of mercy? Don't you think it ought to be a place of grace? Amen? Don't you think your life ought to be a place of mercy and grace? Because how many of you have received the mercy and grace of our Lord? Say amen. Amen. Well, we ought to be merciful and gracious in our daily life. Now, the verses, the last part of verse 3 and verse 4, I had a lady come up to me right after the first service and says, those verses aren't even in my Bible. Well, that's the point. Those verses where it says, waiting for the moving of the water and the thing about the angels and stepping in, stirring of the water, first one in, first first serve, that kind of thing. In the most ancient and the most reliable manuscripts of Greek, they're not even there. There's There's four families of text. And in one of them, it shows up. The other three, it doesn't. And even the one that it does show up, it's in the margin. You say, well, what is this? Well, verse seven talks about when jesus asked him do you want to be healed he said well i don't have anybody to help me get down in the water so it's it's sort of a scribal explanation that there was a legend at that time about the angel stirring the water and i won't give any more uh, information than that you can look it up and study it yourself now so i want you to picture this scene there many people with all kinds of afflictions were sitting at the gates of a dead religion hoping for something to happen So this is Jerusalem. They're just a stone's throw from the temple. They're sitting at the gates of a dead religion. And I just want you to know that there's people all over the world today sitting at the gates of dead religion, hoping something will happen. Some of them even have crosses on the outside and display Bibles on the inside, but they're dead because Jesus isn't present anymore. They have put him on the outside. So you've got all of these people there waiting for something to happen. Some of them had been there for a long time, as is the case of the man that we look at today. I wanna talk to you about this unsolicited healing. You say, why do you say unsolicited? Because the man didn't go looking for Jesus. He didn't even ask him anything. He didn't ask him to do anything. What an amazing story. So first of all, I'd like you to see this sinners, this person's miserable condition the situation was indeed deplorable we read it in verse 2 and 3 he was sitting in this shaded area they called it a portico or a porch surrounding the pools they would gather there waiting on this yearly event now these people weren't necessarily friends they were associates they knew each other maybe they knew each other's name but just think about this they're all going to it's going to be dog eat dog and every man for himself when this event happens that they're waiting on so they weren't really friends they're just sitting there. It's pathetic. The passage said the sick people. The sick people were there. I can just hear the wheezing, and I can hear the respiratory problems that would have been represented. Maybe coughing and sneezing. Uh, maybe there would have been the blind men, and uh, they would have blind people. They would have been begging for alms, as was their custom all the way through the New Testament. And I'm sure we can imagine lame people dragging themselves by their hands and elbows, dragging themselves down some steps, trying to get as close to the water as they can each day. And then like our man in the story, there had to be someone actually carry him in because he was paralyzed. Maybe there were others that were just withered up or powerless and they just couldn't come on their own. It had come to this. And you know, this is another biblical story where there is a physical reality that teaches a spiritual truth. There's never just one story in these stories. Yes, he's going to heal the man in just a moment, and he's going to say to him, Rise up, take up your bed, and walk around. He's going to say that. But there's a lot bigger story, a spiritual truth, and that is is that sin always leaves us in deplorable shape. It always leaves us in bad condition. Somebody said this. Somebody said, Sin will take us farther than we want to go, it will cost us more than we want to pay. And it will keep us longer than we want to stay. Well, 38 years was how long he'd been there. So his suffering was long-term. Verse number five says so. 38 years to be exact. He was at the pool often. He had to be brought there. He could not bring himself. How pathetic. This is your life. 38 years. They come get you in the morning. Take you. Well, they, they may move the water today. No, I'll think take, take the day off. No, no, no. And they take him down and they lie him as close as they can to the water. Maybe he'd gotten used to it by now. Maybe he had built his life around this daily event. Maybe he had just given up. Now, some Jewish leaders are gonna show up in our story in a minute. And I think that's very, very significant because these 38 years, nearly four decades in this man's life of paralysis is very reminiscent of the exactly 38 years that lapsed for the Jews from the time of disobedience When God said, go into the land of Canaan and they disobeyed, Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 14 says, from the command to go in and failure to obey, it was 38 years exactly until Moses had them on the plains of Moab talking about it with them. Remember, in our story, these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders are going to show up and they're hearing everything. 38. Years. Now, somebody's going to say, Pastor Phil, sin is not the cause of all suffering and affliction and sickness. That's true. It is not. But sin is the cause of all relational problems with God. Sin separates us from God. Can I get an amen? Amen. The Bible teaches for all have sinned and fallen short of his glory, that the wages of sin is death. And all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam had to go out of the garden, out of his presence because of sin. I'm going to pause and just ask this. First of all, do you want to be made well? You said, well, what are you talking about? I, I'm, hey, I'm here this way. Do you want to be made well? Is there a longstanding situation in your life? Are there issues? Are there some, is there some habit? Is there some dominating sin that has stagnated your growth or it's ruined your relationships with people or with God? Is there something that's long standing, and maybe you've gotten accustomed to it in your life like this man, 38 years of being carried every day. I'm sure it got down to a routine. Put down the mat, lay me down. No, no, a little closer. No, no, push me a little over on this side. I mean, I, he got into a routine of carrying this thing. Have you gotten used to Whatever's happening in your life, I just got a question for you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? That's the question of the passage. Now, this man's hopes were shattered, verse 7. He was dead while he lived. When the water was stirred, it was first come, only served. What a horrible legend. Here he was, helpless and hopeless. He couldn't move to get in. Why did he keep coming to this stinking place, knowing that he wasn't going to be able to jump in there first? Why did he keep going back to the same dead hope? I'll ask you the same question. Why do we do it? Why do we keep trying another relationship, another drug, another bender, another religion, another entertainment, some purchase that if I could just get one of these, life would be great? Why do we keep going to wells in our life that do not satisfy? You see, he was in miserable condition, but he just kept going to the same, to the same watering hole. He didn't know what else to do. Now I want you to look at something else. I want you to see not only his miserable condition, but I want you to see the Savior's marvelous grace. Aren't you, aren't you glad we've got a God of grace? Just so beautiful. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus saw him. Verse number six. Take your Bible and look at it. When Jesus saw him lying there. Boy, what a wonderful thing for us to just stop and think about this morning. Jesus sees you. You know, I may not see you, others may not see you, but Jesus sees you in your condition. He sees you, he knows you, he knows everything. He sees you. This man had been there for decades among the throngs of people that had paraded to the temple. Had no one noticed him? I have to pause and say with all transparency, I, I wish that I could say that I'm, that I'm as attentive as I should be to people who are suffering, to people who are in need, to people who are trapped in sin's awful grip. I, it's, it's so easy to be doing my preacher thing and to be doing my leadership. It's so easy to be doing that, that sometimes you walk by around and over people who really have a need, and I'm the preacher of the place. It's, so, it's easy to walk by people in need, isn't it? Not for Jesus. Jesus. I just want to tell you this morning, right there, wherever you're sitting, he saw you stand or he saw you not stand. He knows what's in your heart and he knows what's in your life. He knows what's in your past. He knows what burdens, hurts, and heartaches. He knows every relationship trouble. He knows everything. He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He sees everyone. He saw him and he sees us. And I'm struck by the fact that Jesus is dealing with individuals like this. He who maintained, he who created the universe with a word, and he who upholds all things by the word of his power, Colossians 1.16. He who upholds everything has time for individuals. Well, he met with Nicodemus by himself, and then he met a little bit later with a woman at the well, and then he met with that nobleman, and now then he's come looking for this guy, and he found him one person at a time. He sought out this crippled man at the healing pool and Jesus deals with one person at a time today just like he did in the Bible you know we can say that Jesus is the door he's the gate he's the way to God but I've just got to tell you something you only come to him and through him one person at a time I was thinking about finding a I didn't know how to do it but I was going to get a turnstile and put up here on the platform and just talk about how we come to Christ we come to Christ just one person at a time We come to him, we deal with him one person at a time. What are you saying? I'm saying that there's no such thing as household salvation, group salvation, or national salvation. There is only personal salvation. And God sees each of us. He saw Hagar as she was out there in the desert all alone. And he saw Noah and remembered him when he was in the boat. Jesus is God's turnstile and he sees every one of us. And if we come through him, we can come to him. Somebody's going to ask the question, why this man? Why now? Why not 37 years ago? Why not let him say, if he if says, it's going to say a little bit later, he sinned, go sin no more. Well, if it had to do with that, why didn't he come after one year and say, look, you've been sinning and I just want to tell you, stop sinning. I'm healing you today and you just have a different life. And why did he wait 38 years? Why not heal all of the people at the pool? There's another question. He only healed the one. And so I have to ask this question, it's God's choice and God's grace and God's sovereign design, but he came there to that place after 38 years and he picked out this man. I have to turn it around. I have to ask this question about myself, why me? Why me? Of all the eight billion plus people in the world, why me? Why did I hear the gospel? Why did I have a Jesus encounter? Why was I born in the family that I was born in? Why did my mother take me to church the very first time when I was just two weeks old and put me in the nursery? Why did my father tell me Bible stories and make me listen to Handel's Messiah every Christmas Eve as long as I was in his house? Why he he read the Bible? Why? why did I deserve this for somebody to pave the way and walk me to the cross of Calvary? Why me? That's the point. It's because Jesus comes looking for us. Isn't it wonderful? How many of you, Jesus came looking for you and you believed on him? Raise your hand and say amen. He came looking for you. He saw you and he came looking for you. This is beautiful today. Jesus knew him. He knew him before he met him. He knew how long he had been in that condition. I believe Jesus approached him among all those people present because he'd been sick longer than anybody else. He went to that one, the hardest case. He went to the one that had been in that situation the longest. And he went and he talked to him. I think sometimes we make the assumption that healing must come early for people to have any hope. I just want to tell you something this morning. My God can raise dead people, so paralysis is not going to be a problem. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is able, and I just want you to know that he can do anything he wants to do, and I just want you to know that he hunts up the people that he wants to. He went and showed that whole crowd. He went in there, the Jews are watching. He went in there, and he says, all right, uh, yeah, him, he's been here the longest. I'm going to go and talk to him. I'm going to heal him. Sometimes I think we get it in our mind that somebody's so sick, or somebody's so bad off, or somebody's so sinful, or somebody's so pathetic, or somebody's so wicked. That they, and it's happened, we get it in our mind, if we don't get to him with, well, in the first little bit, it's all over. It's never over with God. God can help anyone at any point. But let's get spiritual. We like to think that somebody's a confirmed sinner. They've gone too far to be saved. Or we think their sin is too heinous. Well, they murdered somebody. You mean like Moses. Or they committed adultery. You mean like David. Or they were a religious fanatic and persecuted people. You mean like the Apostle Paul. You see, there's no sinner gone so far that God's grace can't reach him. And so Jesus saw him and Jesus knew him and Jesus flat out healed him. And this episode follows right on the healing of that one we saw last week of the nobleman's son. Both stories record this amazing healing by Jesus, but there are some dissimilarities in this story. They're not exactly alike. For instance, the nobleman sought Jesus on behalf of his son. Jesus sought The cripple man, he came looking for him. The nobleman pleaded for help. Jesus asked this cripple man if he wanted help. The nobleman's case was private. The cripple's case was public. The nobleman was motivated to believe Jesus healed this cripple without faith mentioned before or after the healing. He just came and healed him. You said, well, isn't everybody that's healed saved? No, not in the scriptures. Jesus healed multitudes. Where were they at the cross? Some of the people he healed were crying out, crucify him for fear of the Jews. Amazing. Notice this, Jesus asked him if he wanted to be made well. I keep asking you that this morning, whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're dragging from the past, whatever hurt and heartache, whatever trouble or relationship or whatever unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever habit, whatever you're dragging through life that you've become accustomed to and it sears your conscience to the point you don't even think about it anymore. I have to ask you, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Because there's some that don't want to. Jesus asked if he wanted to be healed. There's no forcing healing or salvation on anyone. He asked him if he wanted to be made well. What'd he do? He began to blame other people. Well, nobody will help me. He said, do you want to be healed? Nobody will help me. He didn't ask him that. He said, do you want to be healed? And he said, nobody will help me. And then people jumped down in there. It's, you know, it's just, it's a big competition. It is assumed that he did, but his bitterness was palpable. The question is, would he know how to live any other way? What do you know how to get on if he wasn't in this situation? 38 years of being in this situation. What do you know how to pick up and live? He's going to pick up that mat in a little while. Now what? I've met people today that identify themselves with their hurt, with their past, with their persecution, with their affliction... With their molestation as a child, they carry that around as a reason for why they can't be expected to make much difference in life now. In other words, they can't, you can't very expect very much of me because look what happened to me beforehand. And don't expect me to be different. Don't expect me. And besides this, he said, this is my ready excuse for not performing better and not doing better. And i tell you what, if I didn't have this, I don't know what I would do. And they don't say that. They don't talk about that. But the truth is, is there's many people that when you say, do you want to be healed? They have to think about that for a moment. Because what would life be like if I didn't have this 38-year situation to fall back on is the reason for the way I am. Hmm. Don't expect much from me. Look at all that's happened to me. Jesus spoke then and the man was healed. He didn't say, do you have faith? Do you believe me? To him who believes anything, he didn't say anything like that. He just said to him, I want you to get up and pick up your mat and walk around. The word is peripateo. It means walk around and the man did it. So here he is. He's sitting there, he's laying on, the, laying on the mat. Don't get into your idea there was this real nice cot with there be the pillow in there. No, 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 it was just like a straw mat or something. He's laying down and Jesus tells him, he says, look, I want you to get up. I want you to pick up that pick up that mat that you're lying on. I want you to walk around and make sure everybody sees you walking around in this place. And so I I have no idea why everybody in there didn't just start crawling toward Jesus, begging for healing, but it doesn't talk about that. It just focuses on this one man. So there he is. He's in miserable condition, and he experiences Jesus' marvelous grace regarding this physical ailment. Imagine what's going through his mind. Oh, man, this is unbelievable. How about what's going through the minds of the others, the other sick people, and then? But there's something else. The Jewish leaders were there. The Jewish leaders were there. So that leaves me from the miserable condition and the marvelous grace. I want you to see the Sabbath's legalistic application. Let me read verse number 10. For you through verse number 16. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. He just blended into the crowd. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, Jesus, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Uh-oh. Jesus has just touched the third rail with the Jewish hierarchy. They had already been checking him and John the Baptist out, hounding them everywhere they've been, trying to find them doing something wrong. Eventually, they're gonna take John's head off. Now they have proof positive, this man, this Jesus of Galilee, this man is a charlatan. He's a magician. He just simply must be stopped. Now you have to understand for the Jews, the temple, the Sabbath, and the circumcision were the big three. Jesus Uh, Had more in mind in healing this man than just healing this man Jesus chose this man because he wanted to But he wanted to heal him and the man benefited But make sure you get this He also knew that the time for confrontation of the Jews Who had absconded with the temple And completely destroyed the witness and the testimony of the temple It was time for them to be confronted The Jews had taken over the temple of the law and they were making the people their slaves, their servants by all of these laws that they had added. And so what did they do? They accused the man of Sabbath breaking, verses 10 and 11. What did he do to break his Sabbath? Well, he carried his pallet. In their minds, he was working. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11 tell us that we were commanded in the beginning, that the Jews were commanded in the beginning that they were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. The idea being that whatever your regular vocation is, don't do that. Stop doing that. Give your animals rest. Give yourself rest and pick it up again the next day. They were to put their normal employment down. It had nothing to do with walking, strolling, carrying a bucket of water from well to home, or and especially from showing compassion on people. The Jews had added 39 categories of laws to the law to protect the law, and they had taken what God meant to be a blessing to mankind, and they made it an incredible burden. The Sabbath was meant to be a time of rest, to refresh, and to remember God's goodness, not to be used in hounding the simple functions of life that people are doing. It is not clear in this passage, which is stunning, it is not clear in this passage whether the man became a believer or not. At least at this point he defended himself by saying, he told me to pick up my mat, Jesus did. He didn't know his name at that point. And what did they do? They accused Jesus of promoting Sabbath breaking in verse number 12 and verse number 16. Verse number 16 lets us know that there's a big change in the book of John coming. The Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So they persecuted, that means make life miserable for him, talk evil of him, hang on to every word he says and try to make him fall, but they planned to kill him. You see, the year of popularity is over and the year of of opposition begins. He is going into a time of opposition now that is extreme. He's going to have to stop coming in big public places and he's going to have to be out in the byways and in 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 the small villages doing his work so that he doesn't draw all of this tremendous attention. They said, you are promoting Sabbath breaking. And so for the next four chapters it's consumed with the subject of the Sabbath and then it uh, this begins this hatred and persecution that carries on right up to the crucifixion the Jews were seething you say well that's terrible well don't worry it gets worse notice this notice that dead religion couldn't help anyone in this situation this is stunning You know, religion can put rules in place, but religion cannot reach your heart. Jesus reaches your heart. What's stunning about these Jews is they didn't care one whit about the healed legs. They only cared about the broken rules. Think of that. Here's a man for 38 years has been laying there and they knew all about it because they would come and go just to make sure everything's right. Make sure everybody's obeying the Sabbath laws and everything else and the ceremonial laws and the dietary laws and every other kind of 39 categories of laws they had added. And so they come along and there he is. Now the man is up and he's walking. And the only thing they could say about that is how dare you carry that mat on the Sabbath. You're working. We're going to banish you. I mean, just think about that. No thought for the healing. Hmm. You know sometimes I think we have to be careful about becoming like that. Do we have cultural things and cultural trappings in our own Christianity that keeps us from seeing God when he's really working because it just doesn't fit our fancy? Hmm. There's a gracious warning in this passage, a very gracious warning, and that is this, don't let grace become a license to sin. Let's go back to this man who was healed. Jesus wasn't done with him yet. He didn't know who healed him. Therefore, he's not saved because there isn't, salvation is in no other name except this name, the name of Jesus. So he didn't know who he was. He couldn't be saved. He didn't know who had healed him. He didn't know who Jesus was. And so Jesus slipped away, blending into the crowd. And by the way, he didn't have a halo over his head to identify him like some movie show. Jesus went and he found him in the temple. And why did this man go to the temple? Well, maybe he wanted to say thanks to God, or maybe he just wanted to go into the temple because in the situation of contamination, he could have never gone in there before and he couldn't walk anyway. So now he's in the temple and here's what happens. Jesus said to him, found him and he said to him something very gracious. He said to him, stop sinning or something worse will happen to him. Brethren, let it be made clear that God's grace is not a permission slip to sin. God's grace is not a permission slip to sin. We love verses in the scripture where it says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Wonderful. It is. There's no sin. There's no sin so deep, no stain so deep, and you've not never gone so far that God's grace can't reach you and save you. But when you are born into the family of God, His grace does not then turn around and give you a permission slip to live any way you want. Here's something that's said all the time. Well, God is gracious, so we don't have to be uptight about the small stuff and about our behavior. Somebody says, wow. Well, you know, it is true that sickness is not always the result of sin. Jesus is going to say that in chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. And we should never be trying to guess at somebody's life. We should never, we should always, our duty is to show compassion. But the Bible says here, Jesus said plainly in this passage that it was because of sin. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us when we talk about the Lord's Supper, that some people are sick and some even die because of their practicing sin. But here's something that I think is even more important here. When he talks about something worse there in that verse, in verse number fourteen, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. I'm gonna tell you that the worst thing that can come upon you is if you don't continue in sin, and if you don't believe something will worse happen to you, and there's just not anything worse than hell. You know what this man's biggest problem was is he had a physical malady that had been healed, but he wasn't whole yet. Stop sinning unless something worse happens to you. And the worst thing that can happen to anybody is dying and go to hell. Well, there's something here that I think we've got to miss, we've got to see. And that is this, after Jesus warned the man, his immediate response was to go tell the Jews it was Jesus who healed him. I don't really know what to think about that. I don't know what what the whether he was a believer happy about Jesus saving him or whether he was just trying to stay good with all of those Jewish leaders so that he didn't get persecuted. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I know what questions we do have from this passage. The first question is, do you want to be healed? I'm talking to you. You say, well, I walked in here today. I understand that. But do you want to be healed of a lot of things? There's always a spiritual application. Is there some long, long ingrained issue of sin, a problem, a heartache or pattern of disobedience or habit that you have grown accustomed to. You wouldn't know how to get on without it. Your conscience is seared. You just keep on. Have you done it so long that you just can't stop and you don't even notice when you're living this way? Do you want healing? I'm asking you unforgiveness and bitterness and alcohol and greed. I'm saying, do you want to be healed? There's a lot of people who don't want to be healed. They want salvation. They want heaven, but they don't want healing. They don't want change. Do you want to be whole? You've got a sheet there. I want you to just mark it on your sheet. Yes or no? It's on your sheet on the back. Just mark it. Yes, no. Yes, no. Some of us wouldn't be bold enough to say no. But in our attitude and activity, it is a no. Do you want to be whole? The man wasn't just helped with his own plans of getting into the water. He was made whole, fully capable, empowered to live. God wants us to be made whole physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Wholeness is the idea. From time to time, people come and want to get married, and they've been divorced, and they're bringing all of the baggage of their previous marriage with them. They're not, they're not whole people that have been fully healed and gotten past the past and given it to Jesus. No, no, no. They're bringing all. They're just half people. And they got it in their mind. Well, I just need the right relationship. I just need a different person. I just need to marry somebody else that'll make me happy. And two half people can get married and we'll be a whole person. Poppycock. It takes two whole people that are completely fully functioning in God's will to be brought together to make a whole marriage. Listen to me this morning. It is so important. Do you want to be whole? It's one thing to be healed of your physical thing, but do you want to be whole? And then finally, do you want to be holy? A lot of people stop right there. Because in their mind, Christianity is just a rule book. Christianity is just a, it's a fence. Christianity is just something to, Put me in. Listen. There's nobody so free as somebody who's free in Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you this morning. There's nobody so free has been set free from the shackles and the enslavement of sin. Nobody is so free, and nobody is so smart as to recognize that the recommendations and rules and the parameters of God are not to take life from us and to make us sad, but to give us life and to make us happy and to protect happiness. That's why God gives us those things. Do you want to be holy? Not everybody wants to be holy. They get in their mouth. Mean, be holy? I'd be sitting in church all the time. I'd be bored out of my brain, and no, nobody, I won't be able to do this and this and this and this. You know, people stack those things up. Stop sinning. The Lord told the man, "Go and sin no more." He told the woman, "Taken in adultery." Somebody said, "Well, Pastor Phil, I just believe in God's grace." Me too. So does the Bible. Here's something about God's grace, Titus chapter two. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let me ask you this morning, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be holy? Do you want something to be different in your life? Is, uh, listen, I'm talking to Christians. Is, are there areas and issues in your life that you're dragging through life like a ball and chain? Doesn't matter how long it's been there, Jesus can take it away. Ask Him. He knows you, He sees you, He knows you, He cares. approaches. And I'm just here to tell you this morning, if God in his sovereignty has chosen you and come to you and he's offered himself to you and you have received him as your savior, you are, you have been graced. Don't miss this grace. Do you want to be healed? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I pray for your blessing to be added to what I've shared this morning. Thank you for this wonderful story that we find in the book of John. I pray that we can have an understanding that you came looking for us. We didn't come looking for you and that you have poured your grace out on us. I pray that you'd work in the hearts of believers today. If there's one here that doesn't know you, we'd love to talk to them. But believers who are dragging things through life, I pray that they would understand they can be healed and whole and holy. Help them in Jesus' name. Amen.